Welcome to North Bay Christ the King. You're listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock at our campus location in Birch Bay, Washington. Thank you for tuning in. For that time today at five o'clock. Now, if you've been around with us for a little bit, we've been in a series this summer in the book Ecclesiastes called Chase the Wind. And Chase the Wind. And we've been looking at King Solomon. Many believe it's King Solomon who, who wrote the words, probably had some help commissioning those words he put together. And what we get through the theme of King Solomon is that the man that had it all, wealth, possessions, power, pleasure, it, everything a person could even dream or imagine had, he goes, it's, there, that's it? That's all there is? At the end of it all and having it all, he realized it, was, it wasn't enough. And how many know more is never enough, is it? There's never enough in the, in the things that are offered in our world that, that are there. It's all temporary. It all, as, as Hebrews says, the word meaningless in Scripture, it's hevel. It's, it's like smoke. It's like vapor. It's, it's, it's here today and gone tomorrow. It's like chasing the wind. You're never going to get it. And that's what Solomon is, is proclaiming and continues to do. But you know what it's interesting about Solomon is this. He didn't have what we have today. And it says, you think about it, the guy who had it all didn't have one, one thing he didn't have. And that was at his fingertips. He couldn't swipe it or click it. Solomon, imagine, Solomon had, if had if he, he, had, he didn't have what we have. We have what's called a search engine. And, and nothing wrong with using your search engine. We, we have these to use and we look up things. It's, it's amazing. I remember the day. When I'm, you know, I know I'm old. Some of you guys are here. I'm, you know, I know I'm old. But I would have to do a research paper. Say I'm studying U.S. history, and I wanted to look up the the U.S. Constitution's date. When it, when did it actually form the U.S. Constitution? So if I wanted to know that fact in my report, I had to get off my couch. I had to put on pants, I had to put on shoes, and I had to drive or walk to a really huge building. It was only open certain hours, and I went in there, and I had to go down an, an aisle, and there was these drawers that looked like my grandma's recipe box, and I pulled and looked it up, and I tried to find which book, and then I had to take a pencil and write down on a piece of paper a number uh, some dude named Dewey set up. I don't know why he set it up the way he did. It's kind of odd, I think. And then I went down the aisle, and I found the book, and I was smart enough I would not read the whole book. But I go to the back of the book in the index and look up Constitution, and then I'd find the, the, the page, and I'd read the page, and I'd find the date. Okay? That's exhausting. That took a long time. And now I have one fact, and then I write it on Grandma's little recipe card, and now I'm moving on to the next thing. You know what we have? Hey, Siri, tell me. Uh-oh. Hang on. Oh. Somebody was texting me. Don't text me while I'm doing this. <laughs> Thank you. Hey Siri, tell me the, the date of the U.S. Constitution when it was written. Okay, I found this on the web. Tell oh. me the date of the U.S. Constitution when it was written. Check it's, it out. It's 1776. I didn't tell me the answer. I asked the question wrong. Uh, we can get something in five seconds, can't we? Isn't it amazing? You're like, 
here, here's, the, here's the dilemma with this. As much as I love, so listen, I love knowing stuff. It's good to know. It's a fingertips. If, you know, we had some family over a couple weeks ago, and we we're like, we want to get sushi. Well, where's the best sushi place? We look it up, and we find, my wife and I do this, we find the best rating. We're going to buy something. Look at the best rating. What are the reviews? It's a wonderful thing to do, and I love that. But I think what's happened, though, this is my observation of culture, is with that, we seem to kind of be been creating a culture of critics and cynics. And all the information in, in, that we have and all that we know, we've created a society of know-it-alls, haven't we? I, I, I find that with people and, and there's, there's criticalness in people and, and their attitude about it. And, and, and as mu- again, as much as I want to know things, we, there, is a, there is know-it-alls out there. Now, let me ask this question. Are, are you a know-it-all? Don't, if, if you are, don't, don't raise your hand. Uh, and, and we want you know we love you in the Lord. And there's prayer for you after the service, okay? If you feel like you're there, we need to recognize this is that deep down, let's be honest, because nobody likes a know-it-all, and even a know-it-all doesn't like a know-it-all. But you know you don't know it all. Deep down, you know you don't. You know there's certain things you can't Google. There's certain things you can't, can't be delivered in two days to you or one day to you, okay? There's areas of our life where we hit critical moments and struggles and issues that knowledge is not enough. Solomon is saying knowledge is not enough. What we truly need, we truly need wisdom in our life. We need wisdom. We have so much knowledge around us, but we need wisdom, and in chapter 11, I want to turn to today, you can find your, get your Bible or Bible app, you got your phone out, you can look on the screen. We're going to look at chapter 11 of Ecclesiastes today. And as we do, I want you to think about what you don't actually know. What you actually don't know. And that's what Solomon talks about here as we turn to it. And as you do, let me just give you one or the, the first thought I have with this. And this is, these are some, we, you know, don't know statements that Solomon has that we're going to look at. The first I would say is this, we don't know the chaos allowed by God's sovereignty. I want you to look at verse one as he states this. He says, ships, ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures. Yet, yes, in eight, you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. Solomon's basically saying, hey, you need to prepare for tomorrow. You don't know what is ahead. You don't know what disaster will bring. You need to know and be prepared for the, 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 the bad days. You need to be prepared for the worst. You know, I, I, I've tried to learn in my life, of, of hope for the best, prepare for the worst. And I spent a lot of time hoping for the best and not preparing for the worst. And I've been burned many, many times. And Solomon says, you need to be careful. But he does say, in investments. He says, put, not put your eggs all in one basket, but actually diversify. And we do this. If you have a retirement portfolio, you should diversify, okay? Don't put it all in one company that can go down. And you remember dot-com, some of you are old enough. Oops, okay? There was a lot of things that happened. Businesses come, businesses go. You need to diversify. And, and he's basically saying, in God's kingdom is the same, that we need to diversify, that we need to 
to, to do that with our life. But what happens though, crisis is going to come. It will happen. It's not a doomsday statement. You know, and are you prepared for that? And how are you preparing it for? Because you and I, we are only one phone call away from our world falling apart. We're only one decision away of, 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 of a bad investment. We are only one medical diagnosis away from our life completely, completely changing. And there's times there's moment. I, I, I know in my life when I've been in the emergency room, I've been in the, op, in the, in the waiting room with people, loved ones who, are, who are, are hanging on dear life in the other room and we're gathered together in prayer. I remember my own mother. I remember when I'm waiting and I hear on the intercom, you know, code blue, cath lab one, code blue. That was my mother. I remember that moment. And I'm like, and I remember the Lord, like I feel so, so by myself and I don't know where I'm at. I remember the Lord just assuring me of his presence and that he's with me and he's going to help me through it to get there. But it came through an investment in a relationship with him that I was able to hear his voice and his, his grace in my life. Let me ask you this question. What or who are you clinging to in crisis? You know, nothing wrong to cling, cling, to cling to things, to hold on to things, to help us through. But at the end, on a solemn experience, things are not enough. It really is who are we turning to? Are we truly turning to Jesus, the one that can help us? And they, but here's the underlying tension. As much as Jesus says he's with us and will be with us and have that assurance, the reality is we don't know it all. God is sovereign. Sovereignty means he's outside of you and I. If we knew it all, and, and, if, and if you're here and self-proclaimed know-it-all, you, you don't know it all because you're not God. And God, it, God, it would be chaos if we were all know-it-alls, okay? We all really truly knew it all. And that's the power of the sovereignty, and yet that can really shake us that it's beyond us. But we can know this. We don't know God's sovereignty, but we understand his sovereignty. We, we know this. We can prepare for what is next by being a person that God's called us to become. become be a person we are to become. And back to investment. He says, invest in seven ventures. Yes, in eight. You know, Solomon, make up your mind. Seven or eight. I don't, but the idea is like, put yourself out there. Take a risk. See, in our Instagram world, people are looking for that, that perfect image and the perfect filter. And, the, and, and what it communicates is, I've got to be this way. And I act a story to look the part. To look like I got it all together. Look like I am a know-it-all. But we're not. And see, truly following Jesus it's not safe. It's not a safe decision to follow Jesus and to play it safe. We're not called, we're called to, as I said earlier, diversify God's kingdom. And you know, that's what we do here as a church. We, we try not to play it safe here. Some have been around for a while. Oh no, we don't. We sure take a lot of risks and a lot of different things that we're doing. We're not here to just kind of keep for ourselves. We are a church committed, committed to take a risk to spread God's kingdom in across the world and even across our community. As a church, we give, and I, we appreciate those who are supporting the church and giving today. If, if, so you know, there's no outside funding but right here. There's no, out, there's no entities that are pouring money into this place. It's the faithfulness of the people that are here that are making a part. If you're, if you're not involved in giving in the church here, please join us in that. Because we're building and helping to try to fund God's kingdom, what he's called us to do. But what we do is that we give 10% of our money away. As you are tithing, as you give 10% to, to the church, we're giving as a church 10% away across the world and across the street. We do that. One of the ministries that we support is called Jesus to the Needy. 
Joe and Abigail Morris are the ones that, that do this. And they are in South Africa and also they do work in Zimbabwe. And they really do try to bring the gospel to these, specifically some refugees, some displaced people. They also do uh, AIDS uh, prevention and abstinence classes in schools. And they're finding more students coming to Jesus in these schools, not just for the sake of morality purposes and following Christ, which is number one, but it's safe. They're trying to help eliminate the AIDS epidemic. It's a huge problem down there as, as we know over the years. We also support a ministry called by the way, you should be also praying for Joe and Avriel. They have some ailing parents and there's some financial needs. So keep them in prayer this week if you can. And then we also support Open Arms. In your program, there's a whole program they're trying to do for back, backpack, back to school project. We do that across the world, but we also do and take a risk in our own community. This last summer here, it just finished, 10 weeks of community meals and and summer food pantry as Sarah Zarimba and a wonderful team. Some of you are in this room that help with that week in, week out that we do. Taking a risk and doing these things. And as, as we invest collectively, can I challenge us to do the same individually? That God is calling us to take a risk. No, we don't know God's sovereignty. We don't know the future, but there's a time to invest in now. And on my office board in my home office, I have have a whiteboard and on that board I have written my it's my investment board and it's not in stuff though I have some goals on a corner and things I'm trying to accomplish but really it's people I've got a people board and the investment board and your name might be on the board by the way you're like what do you want to do with my name and and maybe you're going well I want to be on your board well just tell me if you want to be on the board you can be a part of it okay but the board is really this it's not just to get people to do stuff and and we need we have need uh, James wonderful and my wonderful couple that James did our maintenance and everything there like okay there's a big gap if you're seeing things kind of break down a little bit more it's like we need help with that okay there's need there we're trying to launch more small groups we need small group leaders there's a need for people to do stuff but the people on the board I have committed to is I want to help them grow as a disciple. And one of the ways we do that is we call them quads. And what we do is we, you get together and find three other people and you do discipleship together for six months, 90 minutes a week. You memorize scripture. It's a great plan. And I've been doing this last couple of years. And the four, the three other guys I did this with, they found their guys and now it's another. And I mean, we, we might have 50, 60 people that have done quads as it multiplies because that's the job not just that I'm called to do to make disciples, but your job as well as a follower of Jesus. It t- it's risky work. It's hard work when we do that. that that's, that's, it's a risk. And so I have this question, are you playing it safe? Are you playing it safe? Is, 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 is safe for you coming to church, putting a little tip in the offering, reading a Bible verse, and you know, doing a 30-second prayer and moving? You know, is there some minimum... Are you doing things on a minimal level? That's safe. Safe is just going to work and going home and having no meaningful conversation with anyone about anything spiritual or bothered by it all. Safe is doing what you do is keep to yourself and never be stretched, never reaching out in the way. Here's the thing. Solomon reminds us, there's no sure thing. The only sure thing is there's no sure thing in God's sovereignty. But what we can do is invest. To invest in God's kingdom. That's what... Jesus did. He took the risk. He took the safety of heaven and came and took a risk to be one of us here on this earth that led in the midst of chaos to the cross and and the resurrection. In a few minutes, we'll be remembering that through communion. 
knowing this, that life is not perfect. It's unpredictable. And so Solomon says this in these verses next in verse three, if clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a a tree falls to the south or the north in the place where it falls, there it will die. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. Solomon's just reminding us, you you get caught looking in the clouds and going, oh, beautiful clouds. That looks like a horsey. That looks like, and we can get caught up looking ahead and looking out and like, you know, looking ahead to heaven. Heaven's going to be wonderful. And and many times Christians are just, their heads in the clouds. They're worrying about end times. They're worrying about this prophecy over here and this happening. I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with looking at what scripture says and all that. But we get caught up in the fact that the here and now and the work that God's doing right in the midst of us. He's just, the challenge is to actually do the work. You don't know the future. It's unpredictable. We don't know. And you could say this, we don't know the greatness of God's creation. We don't know what it is. And so we can get lost in the massiveness of it, which is, which is wonderful. And in fact, I think it's great that we, that we look at God's creation the way, the way we see it. And yet, we can get caught just, just looking. And not miss the purpose of it all. He says in verse 5, As you do not know the path of the wind, or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. I mean, let's, let's admit that creation is pretty amazing. We, I mean, the more I look into science, the more I'm convinced of the wonder of God. Scripture tells us in the beginning is that God, you know, he created the heavens and the earth, and he proclaimed this, let there be light, and there was light. Recent years through the Hubble telescope, they have found a couple of things with it. Was First was, is that the universe is expanding. And so, when we think of let there be light, it's like a pebble in the pond. Because they also hear sound waves coming back. Isn't that powerful? Sound waves are happening. So it's almost like God's voice is still creating. Like a ripple in a pond. Let there be light. Let there be light. Let there be light. Let there be light. It's fascinating. Scripture says this. The the Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. We can get in awe of God and we can look and see and all he's done. And we are living in a beautiful part of the country and we should be admiring the mountains and we should be admiring the streams. And we see all that in the massivist God, but we can kind of get lost in it. And the fact that we realize that also God's very intricate, that God's in the very details. The other day we, I was out and seeing ducks. And have you ever seen ducks? You're like, oh, you throw some bread to ducks. They're just ducks. And you look and then you see the inner, you know, the the inside of the feathers of a duck and then the beauty. And then you're just like, oh my goodness. Wow, I'm fascinated over a duck. That is amazing. And all the beauty of God. And we, and how intricate though God is in his creation and specifically you and I. What did he say there? He says, you do not know the way of the spirit comes to the bones of the woman, of a, uh, the womb of a woman with child. We, we know enough science, like Solomon, we do know. We, know, we knew where birth, birth, you know, the babies come from. But we, we don't know the moment, the wonder of the moment at conception when us became us. When our very spirits entered that body, there's a mystery to that. That a dog and a cat, I'm sorry, and you love your pants. I don't know if they have a soul. I don't know. Don't judge me on that, okay? They speak to me, they do. They're wonderful, wonderful creatures God's given us. But they're not creating God's image. And we are. 
And the moment, and, and scripture says this, if you're wondering if you're an accident in life and, and you're mishap or you're like, oops, whatever in life, if you ever felt that way and that was the story you're telling yourself, you need to realize, you need to rewrite the story because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I love what the Bible says that God knows you, he knows you full and well. I love that. And he knows us full and out because he once was like us. God, in, in, you know, he's infinite, became finite. The God who created the billions of stars reduced himself to one cell. Doesn't that blow your mind? That we can't comprehend it all. But he knew exactly what we need in this broken, hurting world to come and dwell with us and to do it personally. Our response is personal relationship with him. John, I love what John says in the gospel. He says, we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. Tell you, tell you, there's times I need a lot of grace, a lot of truth of God in my life to transform me. So we don't know God's sovereignty. We, we, we can't comprehend his greatness of creation, but we can know this. We can know his glory that is found in the ordinary. We can see his glory found in the ordinary. I love author and cancer survivor, Margaret Feinberg. I just love her writing. She wrote this several years ago in the book, Wonderstruck. She says, God extends endless invitations to encounter him. Yet often we sleep straight through it. Unconscious of life God wants for us. We slumber in the presence of the sacred. We snore in the company of the divine. We remain asleep while God roosts in our midst. In Inactive and inert, we become spiritual sleepyheads who clamor for the snooze button rather than climb out of bed. In the dormant states, we miss the opportunity to experience as many gifts to know the giver more fully. Boy, it's almost like she wrote that to the American church. In the midst of knowing it all, in the midst of having it all, we can settle for comfort and we can lull ourselves to sleep as a hurting, broken world gets darker and darker and darker. It's time to wake up. It is time for us to wake up up. In fact, at this very moment, this is the part in the message where it gets calm and quiet. You need to nudge your neighbor and say, wake up. Can you do that? Just a little break there, commercial break. Wake up. Okay. One of the things that we're doing as a church is we're, we're having a wake up call. And this is, we're calling it a wake weekend. It's coming up in October. And today is our first rollout of this opportunity that we have in your programs today is this wonderful flyer that gives you all the details. And I really, really encourage you, don't, don't leave this place without taking this with you. Okay, don't just recycle it. I'll take this with you and look it over, pray about it. But here's the vision for it. Our vision is that this would serve as an opportunity to awaken our souls, awaken our churches, and awaken our community. We're going to gather on a Friday evening for a worship time here. We're going to gather in some other churches. Other churches in our community are going to be partnering with us to do this. And it's, I want you to know, this isn't for, if you're like more of a consumer Christian, like you kind of just, you're Christian that just gets everything for yourself, you're not going to like this. You're not going to like this. If you're, if you're kind of a, a critic or a cynic or, you know, just a person here that like, kind of likes instead of the prayer request cards, you like to make, give comments about the music or about the preaching or about that, this isn't going to be for you, okay? It won't be. 
You don't, you won't like it because it's going to make, you're going to have to embrace the awkward. It's going to be uncomfortable. You're going to get stretched. You're going like, what are we actually going to do? But yet I think it's good practice of what it really means to be a follower of Jesus actually, because we need to learn to embrace the awkward. We need to step in where it's not exactly uncomfortable, that it's not as convenient as Amazon delivers to my house. There comes a point where you're kind of going, God, what is it that you're wanting me to step into and to wake my very soul that's there to what you're called me to do? So I want you to consider and praying about that as we, as we do that here. But, but know this, we don't know next, we don't know the progression of God's plan. Solomon's basically saying this. He says in verse 6, Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let your hand not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will, be, will do equally well. He's saying you, you don't know what's next. You, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know the impact it's going to make, whether you'll be successful or not. But what you do know is this. You can, you can sow some seed. You can do what... You, something. You can actually do something. Just like he's talking about, a farmer, though, is looking. I think in times where is a farmer looking for the perfect conditions to, to plant the seed. Looking for assurance that things are perfectly. And I, and I think we get caught up in that. I think I mentioned this service, maybe the last service, about the Instagram world. Is we get caught up in, in getting the right anger, looking the right way, and looking the right part. And we think we try to get all our ducks in a row. And we're not. We're not going to be able to get it all. But yet... There. Can I just assure you this? If you keep waiting for the perfect, it won't happen. There isn't a perfect time. There's not a perfect mate. There's not a perfect job. There's not a perfect life. You're not going to have a perfect amount of money. It's just not going to be there. And so Solomon's saying, hey, you can get stuck waiting and wanting. You can get stuck looking in the clouds rather than plowing the fields and doing the work. Because in there, there's going to be reward. But the truth is, we don't want to fail. And our know-it-all society that we're afraid of the critic and the cynic, and we don't want to risk it for ourselves. And yet, that fear of failure that you have is what is keeping you stuck. It's keeping you stuck. And you're in this room. I'm not going to call you out. You know who you are. I would say my own life is there's this times of idleness. There's times of seeking comfort. And I'm not open up to the possibilities of God stretching me in a greater way in my life. And yet it's stretching all the time. But the stretching can start small. It's the kind word to a stranger. It's showing love to a grieving friend. It's just simply stepping up and serving, going, you know, there's weeds out there. I think I'm going to go pull those. It's stepping in and maybe leadership going, ooh, man, that's a next step. God's preparing you for something greater that's there. It is all about sowing the seed that you have. Taking what God's given you and doing something with it. It's really that simple. We don't know the outcome, but we can know this. We know God is in control and he is good. So, our, so we can respond by being faithful. Jesus tells us a very parallel passage what Solomon says in Mark 4. He said of this of a farmer. He says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the, the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Psalm is just reminding him as we, as we plow and as we plant, as we cast the seed, that, that 
it's the sower's job is done except continuing to water and nurture it, that God is the one that brings the results, that God is the one that brings the increase in our life. And it's the same for us too, that we, we, gotta, we can't trust in something we haven't done it yet. We haven't stepped into it yet to trust God in a greater way because we kept the seed to ourselves. And we're like, why isn't there change happening? Why is anything happening? Because you've held back. I know at times I've held back out of fear, out of, don't want to be criticized. And I tell you, there's been times that I end up being criticized because I should have done something. I got criticized what I should have done and I didn't do, rather what I did and shouldn't have done. I think God's just saying, take the risk. Step out. God has called us to do that. And the trust is the key. The trust is the key to step out in faith. As we're getting ready for the fall, you know, it's typically the harvest time. But last fall was a planting season for us. As a church, we helped launch. We gave birth and, and, and scattered some seed in CTK Blaine. And there's a wonderful group of people that are now that church and have gathered together. I'm excited for them. They're going to be moving into a, a building this fall. They're, they found a more rent... A, you know, a little bit more long-term rental situation for them. And we're excited for them. And you get proud of your kids, don't you? And what they, what they have accomplished, what they do. But when we've done that, it, take, it took a great risk. To be quite honest with you, it was probably the riskiest things we've ever done. I know myself as a pastor. Boy, it does a, it does a number on you. And it brings a little, bit of, a little bit of shakiness, a little bit of instability. And we don't know what's going to happen next. And, and we don't know what's going to take place. And, but we know that the seed was scattered. And we leave the results to God in his will. Hoping that it will. We will believe it will breed new crops. And of those new souls that are being reached. And it's already happening this last year. In a few weeks you're going to hear an update about that. But let me close with us on this question for you personally. As we've taken a risk collectively as church and things we're doing and stretching our seed, let me challenge you personally. As, as Shane comes and our team gets ready as our time of communion around the table, let me just close with this question. Are you being faithful and open to the opportunities God's given you? Are you being faithful and open to what God's giving you? I'm not talking about what he's not giving you, but what he's giving you in your hands, the seed that's in your hands. And if not, are you holding back? Are you holding back? Again, we live in a cynical and critical culture that there's a fear of failure to take the risk. What are you not risking right now? Is this serving opportunity, stepping into leading? Is it, is it a business opportunity? Is it a new relationship? Is it holding back of letting go of an addiction or a relationship that's not healthy? Is it, is it forgiveness or bitterness you're holding on to? sense of control. I mean, the list goes on, right, of areas of our life. And I want to challenge us too, as we get ready as a, as a church and as family to participate in communion, as you're holding the emblems, the, 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 the symbols of Christ and what he done, be reminded of this, that Jesus held nothing back. The, the sacrifice, the symbolic in your hands today you're going to hold to. The question is, what are you willing to risk? Jesus risked it all for you. What are you willing to give all to? And the commandment, if you don't know, let's take some moment as we hold them together. God, what is it? What is it that you're speaking me to, that you want me to do next, next to take that risk that's going to require a huge amount of faith? Or it might be confession to the Lord that what you didn't do, you should have done. But now the opportunity to confess that sin to him because it's disobedience. Say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry what I've done. 
I, or I didn't do. And Lord, help me. Give me the courage to do what you called me to do next. Now is the time. I tell you, there's no perfect time. There's no perfect amount of money. There's no perfect amount of skill level. There's no perfect amount. You're not too old. You're not too young. This is the moment. This is the opportunity. Lord, what am I holding back? And as we hang on to these together, as our ushers come, just know that, that if you're new and you don't have, you're not a follower of Jesus and you're not sure what to do with it, you can let that pass you by. This is what we do as followers of Jesus to remember Christ's sacrifice. So as we hold them together and then we'll come back together and, and eat and drink together. Let's sing as we do that and reflect. So I hope they took a moment to identify identify what God's speaking to you of the opportunities ahead. And you might, I saw that, you might even question like, well, what would God, does he want me to do something? Is it always that? Yes, it is. It's his will. Whatever that might be. It might be reaching out to a friend. It might be taking on something else. There's an action to go towards him, to whatever it might be. What are you holding back on that? I tell you, whatever it is, it's not going to be comfortable. So you think, oh, this is going to be a nice little thing to do. It won't be. But it will be possibly a small step. But as, I, as, as we reflect upon that all that Christ did for us, the reality is, is that we're not just to, we can't wait till we know it all. You know, I was, I was, I was reflecting upon, the, the, so what are some know-it-alls in the Bible? And, and you know what? There's a guy, there was a know-it-all in the Bible. In the New Testament, the book of Acts, there's a guy named Saul. He was a religious know-it-all. He had it all figured out. He had the religion all figured out. And he realized that what Jesus did, was a, it, was, it was not right. It was a farce. And they're believing this resurrection of this guy. And he went out to try to squash the movement of the church. Well, he didn't get too far down the road. As he was traveling on the road to Damascus, he got literally knocked down by his hobby, his, his high horse. He got knocked down in pride. And he was blinded, but yet God revealed who he was, that Jesus himself, and he fell into relationship with Jesus and became one of the greatest missionaries of the church. And, and Paul, he ended up being Paul, Saul became Paul and spread the message to the Gentiles, to the Roman world of, of Jesus and what he had done, he came with simplicities. He at one point said, you know, I don't care anything I've done in the past. All I want to know, this is what I want to know, Jesus Christ and him crucified. I, I, that's what I want to stand for and know. And that's the simplicity where in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, let's be reminded of what Jesus had done. To remember the sacrifice that he made. To go back and take a moment of all that, that Jesus took this incredible, credible risks that we're called to, to do the same. And the night that they're betrayed, or Christ was betrayed, Jesus held up a piece of bread and he said, this is, this is my wrist. This is my body. It's going to be put to death for you. Broken and beaten and put to death. Eat in remembrance of me. Let's do that together. Jesus continued in his gathering that last supper with his disciples. And they understood blood covenant. They understood that sacrifice of animals and others for for sin, and but they had to continually do that. And Jesus says, no, I'm the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. 
So there's a new agreement, a new blood covenant that's going to take care of everybody's sin. One drop of my blood will take care of everything. Drink and remember to me of that, that I'm about to do. God, there's no words that we can put together. There's no way that we can express our gratitude. But we thank you for the gift of communion that helps us to do that. To, to literally do this, this object lesson, this, this, to taste it and to feel it and to, to, to recognize the reality and reminder of the reality of who you really are for our lives. And what risk you took of sending your own son to come and, and the risk that Jesus took to come and die on the cross and be rose, risen from the dead. Lord, you did that. You did that work. You showed us the path of taking a risk of what it, what it means to, to, to have a heart and a desire and to follow your will. And Lord, we're, we're called to do the same. We're not called to comfortability. We're not called to play it safe. We're, we're called to take at risk. And, and Lord, we live in this world of know-it-alls, of cynics and critics. And, and there's this fear that comes over us sometimes that not to be stretched and not to really share our faith and not to actually go out and, and make a difference any longer, to play it safe. Lord, you did not die and sacrifice yourself for us to play it safe, but to live out this wonderful, amazing salvation. To, to resolve in all that we don't know, but we do know this. Christ and you were crucified for us. And that now, Lord, we can live this life of, of incredible amount of risk, but incredible amount of fruit and fulfillment that comes. That we plant our seeds, we we water those seeds. We do the work. And Lord, that we would not be caught, our heads in the clouds and looking at one day in heaven. And the Lord, we, the fear would be is this, is that you would say that we played it too safe. That North Bay Christ the King played it way too safe. And there was, a, there was a community that was dying and going to hell and you didn't do anything about it. Oh Lord, may that not be the case. And Lord, may that not be the case in our own faith and our walk with you. That we let others... Lord, that will go on the wayside. We didn't help and we didn't care. We didn't love because we're playing it safe in fear, Lord. And so, Lord, we confess all that to you and we're grateful for what you've accomplished and the pathway to the cross that we can follow you in that. So, Lord, give us, give us wisdom as we've been asking over and over in these weeks. But, Lord, we also ask for courage to live out what you called us to do. We pray in Jesus' name.